How's everybody today? Good. Welcome to church. Hey, on uh, Facebook this week, we asked a question. We said, uh, what is the most boring job you've ever had? The most boring job you've ever had? And certainly that was not to, you know, demean any line of work. We think uh, if you put your hand to something and you're doing something and you're being productive, that's respectable, right? So uh, that's, that's a good thing. So certainly not to put down any job or anything like that. It's just some of us over the years have learned some things we're not good at. Anybody else? We just learned some things that, you know, just didn't excite us or we weren't good at. And, and so we asked our church family to share some of those. What was the most boring job you've ever had? And, and one lady said she was a box builder for Snyder of Berlin Chip Factory. Her job was just to build the box. Now, in my mind, uh, that's an important job. <laughs> Come on, somebody. <laughs> but it might be a little bit boring. Uh, someone else said, I ran the register in an antique store in a terrible location all by myself for about a month. I think we had five customers the entire month. I would pray for a customer just to have someone to talk to. Uh, I, I sold cars through the winter in Garrett County, and I never sold one car. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm with this gal. Uh, someone else said uh, their job was making and inspecting medical feeding tubes. I'm going to say this, important job. <laughs> right? <laughs> but maybe not the most exciting career. Somebody else said, my first job, I think this was Kelly, who was just up here, was she was 15 years old. She was to report to a small, dark office with a phone and a phone book. I'm going to remember phone books. And she said, I would have to cold call each number and ask if they had purchased their cemetery plots. <laughs> and if they hadn't, she would set up an appointment to meet with a salesman. That was a dead-end job. <laughs> That's as good as it gets, folks. It's as good as it gets. Somebody else said, when I was 17, I was a lifeguard at a local hotel. There were never any swimmers, so it was so boring. Somebody else said they were a telemarketer for two months, but after straying from the script almost every call, uh, I was told that this job is probably not for, <laughs> probably not for me. And then here, here's mine. I've had several boring jobs over the years. Uh, pastoring a no, just kidding, just kidding. Not boring, not boring, not boring. Uh, but one time I was hired midnight shift to watch dirt. That was that was my job. I was to watch dirt. It was a construction project, and I was to sit in my vehicle. wasn't allowed to get out of my vehicle. And Norm, it was probably three hundred yards away. I could barely see it, and my job was to sit there all night in my vehicle and watch dirt. Couldn't play, couldn't mess with the machines, couldn't do anything. I resigned after one night. <laughs> I determined that was, that, was not, that was not the career for me. Well, today we're jumping into a new series called Rediscover Christmas. And our Bible text is going to take us into the life of a man who some may have considered to have the most boring job in the world. Because his job simply was to wait. That's what his job, not, not he was a waiter serving people in a restaurant or an establishment. His job was simply to wait. Luke chapter 2, let's go there in our Bibles today. Luke 2, two and verse 22 is where we're going to pick up on the story. It says, now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him, the him here being Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. 
As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. As we jump into the Christmas story this year, we're picking up when Jesus is about six weeks old. Mary and Joseph are bringing him to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord. Now, it might sound a little funny to us, like, to think of it this way. The Lord is being dedicated to the Lord. <laughs> like, what's the point? Why, why would the Lord need to be dedicated to the Lord? Well, we're also told some other things about Jesus' time here on this earth. We're, we're told that uh, when he was eight days old, he was actually circumcised. And circumcision was a ritual started in the Old Testament, and it signified a cutting away of sin. Now, today we do that for other reasons, but back then it was a spiritual ritual. So why would the perfect sinless Son of God need to be circumcised? And why would this perfect child need to be dedicated to the Lord. It almost seems unnecessary for Jesus to do these things that normal, ordinary people like you and I would do. Well, it's important to remember this, that Jesus was born to die. <laughs> that, was, that was his purpose. He was born to die in our place. And if he was going to be our sacrifice, then he had to identify with us in every way. Just like when he was baptized. We baptized 40-some folks a couple of weeks ago. Well, water baptism is, is a sign that I've turned from my old life of sin and I've turned to a new life in Christ. Well, why? He wasn't, he wasn't a sinner. Why would he have to be baptized? Well, again, he didn't do that as a sign of repentance. He did that to identify with the sinners that he would die to save. And I want to mention this at the beginning of the message to help us understand that it's not just the death of Jesus that is important, but it's also the way that he lived his life. And from the crib to the cross, we can see that every single detail of his life mattered. As we read through the scriptures, we'll find so many amazing details about the life of Jesus, starting all the way in the, the beginning of your Bible in Genesis chapter 3. We're given a prophecy that he would be born of a virgin. Then later in Isaiah, that's one of the Old Testament prophets, we're told that he would come as a baby. And then later in the book of Micah, we're told that he would be born in a tiny town called Bethlehem, about the size of Accident, Maryland. Every single detail about his life was predetermined by a sovereign God. And do you know what? That same sovereign God holds us in the palm of his hand this morning. It's what's important to know the Bible and to read the Bible because you see how God works and moves in the lives of humans, us, not just Jesus, but us included. All right. So Mary and Joseph bring him to the temple. Look at verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Everybody say Simeon. And this was a just man and a devout man, and he was waiting. Everybody say waiting. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, when it says that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel, this is just another way of saying that he was waiting for the Messiah. He's waiting for that promised one, the Messiah who would come. 
Earlier this year, we did some study about Israel's history, and we know that they are a people who have been greatly uh, oppressed and persecuted for thousands of years, and it goes on still today. If you pull up your social media or you watch the news, you see that Israel is at war, and, and this has just been part of their history, so they've always been longing for a Messiah. And in Simeon's day, many people had lost hope that this Messiah was ever going to come. But not Simeon. Simeon held on to hope. He was a godly man, and his focus in life was was on waiting. Waiting for that promised one who's going to come and change the world. Verse 26, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, this is just really interesting to me. Uh, We assume that Simeon is an old man. And at some point in his life, he has had such an experience with God that the Holy Spirit had given him a promise. That God had said to him, Simeon, you won't die until you see the Messiah. And I was just thinking this week, I, I, I wonder if Simeon shared this promise with anyone. I mean, all of, all of Israel knew that the Messiah was promised, but some of those promises were thousands of years old. And for many, that promise had probably turned into folklore. That promise had probably turned into a myth, kind of like Bigfoot, right? I mean, all my life, I've been dreaming about seeing Bigfoot. But I'm going to be 50 next month. I ain't seen Bigfoot yet. I'm, I'm beginning to kind of doubt that he's real. Right? I'm, I'm starting to have doubts that I'm ever going to be out at New Germany State Park hiking a little bit. And whoa, there he is. I, I'm just kind of starting to have doubts. And, and for some in Israel, that's the way they had been. They had been hearing about this Messiah that's supposedly going to come for thousands of years now. This, this tradition and this prophecy has been passed down from generation to generation. And I think for a lot of folks, it was like, you know, I mean... It would be cool if he was real. It would be kind of awesome if he came. But our ancestors have been saying this for a long time. And I'm not really sure that he's real. And I'm not sure that he's coming. I also thought as I read this text this week, if, uh, if Simeon shared this promise with people, what did, they, what did they think about him? Like if this guy said, hey, do you know what God told me? God told me that I'm not going to die until I see the Messiah. They probably called him crazy. They probably thought, they probably thought he was nuts. And every, you know, all right, Simeon. Every, every time they would see him, hey, Simeon, seen the Messiah yet? Hey, Simeon, what are you doing today? Oh, wait, we know what you're doing today. You're doing today the same thing you've been doing every day. You're waiting. There's Simeon, the waiter. I, you could just imagine this guy is probably mocked for his faith and mocked for his relationship with, with God, and I just wonder what, what was that experience like for him? And One thing I've learned over decades of walking with God is sometimes you don't need to tell everyone everything that God tells you. <laughs> sometimes you don't need to tell everyone everything that God tells you. Sometimes what God tells you is just for you. <laughs> And he just wants you to trust him. He just wants you to walk it out in that personal relationship with him. So Simeon has this promise from the Holy Spirit and every day he's waiting and with anticipation, finally, finally the Messiah comes. Let's pick up on the story. Look at the text in verse 27. It says, so he came by the Spirit 
into the temple. We see this pattern with Simeon. He's got this relationship with the Holy Spirit. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Wow. What he's been waiting for all of his life. Is finally here. As I reread this story this week, I just really like this Simeon guy. As far as the Christmas story, he's he's not what we would consider like a major player. Right? He's 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 a supporting actor. He's in a supporting role. We don't know a whole lot about him, but there are some things we can learn from his life. And I just get this picture of this man who has grown old with God. And the older I get. <laughs> And the more I've been pastoring and been around people for decades who've known Jesus, can I tell you that one of the most beautiful things that can happen in life is to grow old with God. Is to get decades and decades and decades of a relationship with him under your belt. Some people look at the life of a Christian and they would say, well, you know, that the Christian life is boring. Let me tell you, when you get to walk and talk and be used by the God who created you, there ain't nothing boring about that. Our worship team used to do a song called The Great Adventure. And when you walk with God, life is an adventure. And it doesn't matter what your worldly status is. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be famous. You don't have to be a, quote, influencer. When you have a close personal relationship with Almighty God, you can rest in the insurance of knowing that he is using your life for his divine purposes. And that's true whether you are a housewife or a business owner or a janitor or a preacher or a box builder or a dirt watcher it's awesome to know God (laughs) we don't know what Simeon did with his life with the rest of his life but we do know that he was faithful to wait and through God's sovereignty this old man is now holding in his arms the promise that he had held in his heart for all these years he says now I can die in peace. And he says to Mary and Joseph, he says, your boy is not only for the, the glory of Israel, but he's also going to be a light to the Gentiles. If you're not Jewish by birth, you're, you're Gentile. And this is really one of the first prophecies we'll see spoken over Jesus that helps us understand that he's not just the Jewish Messiah, but he is the Savior of the entire world. Verse 33, and Joseph and His mother marveled at the things that were spoken of him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now, now this is, it's a beautiful occasion, but it takes an interesting twist. Um... Remember, this is kind of like a baby dedication. Old man's been telling people all these years, Messiah's coming, Messiah's coming, Messiah's coming. Finally, here he is. He's nearing the end of his life. He's in the temple. Here comes Mary and Joseph. They've got the baby Jesus. It's a fulfillment of this promise that he's held in his heart. Now he's holding the promise in his hands, and he's dedicating him to the Lord. He's presenting him to God, and he's walking through this. And then all of a sudden, it takes kind of a twist. Verse 
And he says, but, but Mary, I, I want you to know this, that, that many are, are actually going to speak against him. And that, that he'll pierce your own heart also, knowing some of the things that your baby boy is going to go through. And, and it's, it's just kind of an odd thing to say to a mother during a baby dedication. It'd be like me dedicating a baby up here on a Sunday morning and speaking blessings over the child and then turning to the mom and say, Oh, honey, when this kid is three years old, he's going to drive you crazy. <laughs> Dad, I know today we're saying that this baby boy is a gift from the Lord, but when he turns eight, you're going to wonder if you could return him. Right? It, it, it would... <laughs> We should start doing that, honest baby dedications. We should just, we should just start doing that. <laughs> and and that's, that's kind of, they're in this holy moment, but then it, it kind of takes this twist, and he says, but, but I want you to know, Mary, I want you to know, Joseph, not everyone is going to rejoice at the birth of your son. It seems a little, seems a little strange. But remember... He's got this super close relationship with the Holy Spirit. He's hearing from God. And what he's saying is that this baby is no ordinary baby. And he knows that the life of Jesus Christ is actually going to be polarizing to many, many people. And uh, I know this is the Christmas season. And, and uh, you know, we, we're trying to focus on hope and joy and peace and love and all these things. But, but what the text leads us to is is this truth that, that Jesus Christ is actually the most divisive person who's ever existed. You will, you will meet very few people who are indifferent about Jesus. They will either have a strong affection for him or a strong disdain against him. I've met people from around the country who love Jesus in just about every different walk of life. Poor people, rich people, you know, well-known people, famous people, unknown people. If you share the love of Jesus with them, there can be an instant bond. Have you ever experienced that? Like maybe you're, you're somewhere, you're, I don't know, you're traveling or you're at an amusement park or whatever. And, or you're in a store and you just look at somebody and you, you make eye contact. And all of a sudden there's like this inward witness in there that that's a believer. They, they love the same God that I love. And I've witnessed that in, in restaurants, maybe waiting in line or talking to somebody. And, and then later you see them bow their head to pray over their meal. And you're like, I knew it. I knew it. Why, why did you know it? But you, didn't, you didn't have to break out in the hallelujah chorus in the pickle aisle, right? There, there, was, there, was, there, there was just that inward witness that I, kn I know that they love the same God I love. It's that in instant bond. But however, um, you know, there's, <laughs> there are some people who, who don't love Jesus. I, I know a lot of you wear what we call witness wear, you know, our Jesus plus nothing shirts or God loves you or whatever. And, and oftentimes people just say something to me like, hey, I like your shirt. And that's all they got to say. And there's that, hey, you know, you know the Lord, I know the Lord, we know that we know the Lord. But then I've gotten some pretty bad looks sometimes. <laughs> Just beware when you buy one of those shirts, you walk around with big Jesus right on your, your chest. Sometimes not everyone's excited about that. Sometimes I've, I've experienced and seen people just being plain 
nasty toward Jesus. They'll call him a fake, a made-up fairy tale, a cosmic child abuser, a sugar daddy in the sky, all sorts of names and disparaging remarks. And I always just want to say to people, hey, if Jesus isn't real, then why does he upset you so much? Like if he's a myth, just ignore him. I don't believe in the Easter bunny, but I'm not mad at him. Right? I, I, don't, I don't organize campaigns against the Easter bunny. And if you give me a chocolate rabbit, I will eat it. Come on. Right? I, I'm not angry at the tooth fairy. I'm not anti-tooth fairy. I just let him do his thing. I do my thing. I'm not on a campaign to turn people away from the tooth fairy and expose him for the fraud he is. I just ignore him. But the reason that some people can't just ignore Jesus Christ is because deep down they know he's more than a myth. Deep down they know he's not a fairy tale. You see, God has placed eternity into every human heart. And deep down, every man, every woman knows there is something different about Jesus. He's not just another good teacher. He's not just an honored or revered rabbi. He's not just a humanitarian. He's way more than a carpenter, and surely he's way more than a politician. The reason that Jesus Christ is such a polarizing figure is because his presence commands a response from the human heart. It just does. He is in a culture of confusion. He stepped off of his throne in glory. He stepped onto the very planet that he created. He lived here for 33 years. He died for the sins of the world. He stepped out of his own tomb. Today he's seated at the right hand of the Father and he's ruling and he's reigning. And one day he will step onto a white horse and he will fully subdue his enemies. There will be a new heaven and a new earth and the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God you can mock him you can reject him but you cannot ignore him because even for those who hate Jesus he loves them this world has never been the same since the birth of this baby boy in a tiny town of Bethlehem the Messiah came and he changed the world the Messiah came and he changed our lives we ought to give him thanks we ought to give him praise this morning entire world changed because of the presence of Jesus Christ. As we, as we look into Simeon's story, Simeon said, Mary, you're blessed. Joseph, you're blessed. This baby's blessed. But he will reveal the heart of every person. And some will love him and some will hate him, but no one will ignore him. And I want to ask you this morning, where do you stand? Who is Jesus to you? He's God. <laughs> Whether you declare him as God or I declare him as God, he, do, he doesn't need our affirmation. He's God all by himself. But what his presence commands from every human heart is for us to make a decision who is he to us? He loves the world. That's why God sent him. God so loved the world. 
Today, he asks us, who am I going to be in your life? For Simeon, he was the Messiah. He's the one he had waited for all of his life. Is that who he is to you today? For the religious folks who didn't like him, (laughs) they crucified him. He was an enemy. He was a threat. We all, it's not just that we get to decide. We have to decide. Who is Jesus going to be to us? Will you bow your heads with me this morning? Many Sunday mornings I either stand in my office, which has a big window, and I watch hundreds of people file into this place that I don't know. I wish I knew you all, but I don't. Because I don't, I... I don't know your heart. I don't know where you're at with God. I don't know if Jesus is your Lord and maybe you're here just because you're curious and you're, you're searching through life. It doesn't matter why you're here. I'm glad you're here. And there are hundreds of people in this room today and Jesus is their Messiah. He's the one that they've waited on all of their lives and once they found him, they, they knew it. But if you're here today and you're just curious, you're not sure... We were all where you are right now. Today is an invitation. Earlier during worship, Emily talked about surrender. If you've never thrown up your hands and opened your heart and said yes to Jesus, as we start this Christmas season, would you do that today? The cross of Christ is an invitation to you. He says, come on. He loves you with an incredible love. He died for your sin. He removed every barrier that would stand between the two of you. Nothing you have to do. Only come to him by faith. I don't care where you've been, what you've done. I don't care what you did this morning. God's grace is greater than any sin. Say yes to him. Father, we thank you for that grace offered to each of us. We give you thanks and we give you praise. Today as we look at Simeon's story, we're reminded of the power of hope. I don't know how old he was when Mary and Joseph finally walked into that temple, but this man had held on to hope until he saw the promise of God. And really the Christmas season, it's about hope. It's a season that links the past, the present, and the future. We, we look back to the ancient longing for the coming of this Messiah, and then we celebrate his birth, but then we also look forward to his second coming. Do you know Jesus is coming again? It's coming again. It's a time to prepare our hearts and Help us place our focus on a far greater story than our own. The story of God's redeeming love for our world. It's not a season of pretending or covering up and and pretending that we don't walk through hard times in life. Some of us are walking through extremely tough times. And I know that the holidays are hard for a lot of people. We're grieving. There's loss. 
complicated things going on in our lives. But Christmas is, is a calling back. It's a, it's a reminder that God sent his son to be Emmanuel, God with us. So over the next few weeks, our lives are going to be busy, I know. But when we come in here on Sunday, we're, we're going to focus on, on the attributes of Jesus encapsulated in his birth. Hope and peace and joy and love. Because of Jesus, we can have hope even in times of uncertainty. Hope sees beyond. It's the fuel of our faith. Hope reminds us that God is with us here and now and always. And hope inspires us to carry on, sometimes just one step at a time and one day at a time. I shared with you last week, my dad's in the hospital and we got to visit with him on Friday. And he's, he's having a rough time. And he looked at me and he says, uh, Dave, I need hope. I need strong hope. In Christ, that's what we have, a strong hope. Grab his hand, pray for him. Don't have all the answers. Can't answer all of his questions. We turn to God. And for many of us, that's where we are. I'm going to ask Pastor Stephen to come and pray a prayer for anybody struggling today. Anyone who needs just needs a, a fresh dose of hope during this holiday season. Romans 15 says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you would overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit the same Holy Spirit that ministered to Simeon all those years is present here today and he wants to minister to us let's pray Lord we uh, we just come before you humbly it's just one of those moments where we're just we're brought very very much face to face with the reality that you came. Hallelujah that our God is with us. Hallelujah that you came to save. Hallelujah that because you've come, everything has changed. And uh, we have the opportunity now to be saved. We have the opportunity to have your Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us in every season, including this one, including the busy ones. You're so faithful to us. As, as we enter into this season that is often hard for a lot of people, you have not promised us that we will not face trouble, but you have promised us that we would never face it without you. And Lord, we come and we ask that you would just continue to fill us, continue to bless us, continue to love us, continue to guide us, continue to, to lead us. And as we go through this season, we'll continue to give you the glory for who you are, for what you've done, for the way that you love us. Pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.